20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's going on, Packer fans? Welcome back to an all-new episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. We are once again co-branded with Packers Wire. Of course, you know my guest. He's the one and only Paul Brettel. You can follow him on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettel. Paul, not the uh, discussion that we wanted to have on this particular day, going over a disjointed, ugly, frustrating, disappointing, everything else, uh, every other adjective you want to use, Packers loss, but here we are nonetheless, and uh, either way, it is still great chatting with you. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent, Andy. Yes, one of my favorite parts of the week, chatting with you. And I, I do a Instant Takeaways article over at Packers Wire right after the game, just kind of my, as it says, instant takeaways to what we saw on the initial viewing. And the first sentence this week was, what the heck did I just watch? <laughs> and I feel like it was that way from a variety of different angles. Obviously, Packers offense, defense, and special teams all had something to do with that. Some of the the ref, you know, decisions and all of that that went into it had something to do with that. The way that the Giants played, um, you know, you have a missed field goal, a random Saquon Barkley unforced fumble. You've got a punt that goes off a Giants helmet or back or whatever it was. Like it was just, it was bad football all the way around. And I, as I tweeted out. We all were dumber for watching that game. There was not many positive things that came out of it. Maybe we'll touch on some of them today, but I'll let you kind of go into that a bit further. Not maybe necessarily the what did I just watch, but some of your gut reactions, key takeaways from that game. Yeah, I mean, man, just the the mistakes. So many of them too. Like even, you know, beyond like the inaccurate throws or the turnovers, like Patrick Taylor not going out of bounds. Keyshawn Nixon trying to get up after muffing the punt. Anders Carlson, you know, if it wasn't for a fortunate bounce, I guess, like that kickoff would have went out of bounds before the end of the half. Like just literally anything you could think of went wrong for this team getting in their own way. And the the Giants in return, you know, they tried to do their best. Like as ugly as this game was, it could have been like down 10 in the final three minutes with this game completely out of reach. The punt that hit the Giants player gave the Packers three points the Saquon Barkley fumble that Carrington Valentine was able to return like those were those were not plays that the Packers made those were things that the Giants did then said here here you go here's an opportunity to take the lead or to get back into this game so just so much went wrong for this team and as, as we all saw and disjointed and all three phases you know there's the we always talk about complimentary football and this was the opposite of that. But then as I was thinking about it, I was like, well, it was complimentary. It was just none of it was positive to any degree. So, you know, it was it was just ugly across the board. I know we'll get into more of the specifics here coming up, but nothing, not a ton of good takeaways from what we saw from this team. It's it's impossible to get into the, the psyche of a team. Um, is there anything that you like felt or saw or anything that that would have led to this sort of regression coming off of the three wins that we just saw, because you know, part of this is just the Jekyll and Hyde nature of a young and inexperienced team. And we, we understand that we get that. It's just the, the polar ends of the spectrum at which this team plays at, I mean, games. And I know that Casey and Detroit have lost recently. That chargers win doesn't look as good. I get all of those things, but in the moment, the level of football that they played at in those particular games was so incredibly different than the level of football that they played in this game. Some of their games earlier in the season, 
and it's really hard to know and understand. And like, it's not even like a one, like where you're going like, all right, one game, good, one game, bad. Like you can have a few games in a row that go atrocious, then a few games in a row that go amazing. Like, I, I don't know sometimes how to make heads or tails of what to expect in any given game or any given week. And just when you feel like it was all trending in the right direction, it was like abrupt stop, pause, pull you back and be like, just remember this team still has a lot to work on. Yeah, this was, I mean, coming into it, and I know it was talked about, but this was like the prime example of what a trap game is. You're coming off uh, a three-game win streak, two of them against, you know, record-wise, what had been two of the better teams in the NFL. You're traveling across the country to the East Coast for, I know it's a Monday night game, and you 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 assume players get up for that, but nonetheless, your week's thrown off a little bit. You have to wait an extra day, and like, it's a four and eight Giants team that was coming out of their bye week, although I don't know how much of a difference that made. But nonetheless, additional opportunity to prepare. So everything about this game marked a trap game for the Packers. And I, going into it, there was the the side of the spectrum of, well, this is a young team. You know, could they fall into that given how they're playing recently or this is a young team? Is this just something that's going to roll off their back? And they're just because that's one of the things that. Matt LaFleur and, you know, even the veterans in the locker room have talked about this season, like in the midst of that four game losing streak, when everything's going on, a lot of the comments were, this is a young team. They don't necessarily know, you know, where you're supposed to be, you know, in their, obviously yeah. you want to win games, but kind of what a four game losing streak feels like. You just show up to work the next day because that's what you do. And so you didn't know kind of what end of the spectrum they were going to fall on, where that inexperience was going to hit them. But man, that it it just fell into that trap game scenario and watching it early on as Jordan Love had those inaccurate passes on the first few drives I was wondering if because we saw that in the preseason early on in the year it was a bit of a slow start and you're thinking all right Monday night football maybe a little juiced up he'll settle in but that part actually never came for them and I guess to take a little positive spin on this being able to come up with that touchdown late in the game, and I know they were gifted good field position, but we saw several other examples early on in the season where they made their way you know, into opponent territory around the 20, 30-yard line, and they weren't able to convert those opportunities into score. So I think just the that shows the growth of this team, uh, specifically the offense, I should say, in terms of being able to convert that into the touchdown to give themselves the lead at that time. Cause if the defense holds, that's the second time in four games that the offense goes down and scores in the final two, three minutes of the game to retake the lead. Like we always hear about, you got to learn how to win young teams got to learn how to, you know, handle those situations. And I think that was a good example and shows the, the resiliency as Matt LaFleur often uses of the, the offense in particular, to just kind of shake off and Jordan Love shake off everything that had been going wrong in that game. You got the opportunity in front of you and go down and take advantage of it. You know, especially after that drop pass or batted away pass, I should say by Malik Keith, just being able to respond to that. So in terms of trying to find some sort of positive, I feel that that was a big one from the offense's perspective, that resiliency aspect. I agree. I think that was still a learning moment and a lot of really good quarterbacks in this league have made a ton of money by sometimes having really bad games, but finding a way to have a game-winning drive at the end of the game when it mattered most and still pulling victory from the jaws of defeat. And it's not Jordan's fault, and we've gone through this with Aaron a million times before. It's not the quarterback's fault that they go down, score, take the lead, and then you know the, the defense immediately gives it up without much resistance. 
And even from Jordan's standpoint too, like he didn't even have any say on the two point conversion. They ran a sweep play that took the ball out of Jordan's hands completely. So he kind of did his job getting them down there, getting them in scoring position, getting the touchdown. And then the rest was out of his hands. So I do think that there was at least that piece of it from Jordan's side of things and from the offensive side of things of you had to have this touchdown. You you were on the road. You played like garbage all game long, but you've got one more chance. Can you go down and make the most of it? They did. And unfortunately, the defense just couldn't follow it up, which I'm sure we're going to talk about more as well. And let's maybe it's probably a good time to transition maybe to the defensive side of the ball. And then one of the things that you wrote about and obviously has been talked about ad nauseum already has been the lack of sacks for this Packers defense in this particular game. There is there does seem to be a little bit of a internal debate amongst Packers Twitter of, all right, well, how much credit do you want to give towards pressures? Because I know Devontae Wyatt is a little bit of a hot topic right now of like, all right, well, how, how do you want to grade Devontae Wyatt in not only this game, but a lot of this season where he gets a decent amount of pressures, he finishes precious few of those pressures. And we've talked about in the past of how valuable pressure can be and how it can open up things for uh, a lot of different good things to happen on your side of the ball. But, but sometimes a pressure can lead to the quarterback just sidestepping you. And if there's not, you know, a, a tag team partner next to you ready to clean that up, it can lead to a scramble for 10, 15, 20 yards, as we saw yesterday with Tommy DeVito on a handful of different occasions. So your thoughts on the Packers lack of sacks in this game and, and how big of an impact it had on that Giants game. Yeah, I mean, it was massive. I mean, one of the you know keys to the game was, all right, slow down Saquon Barkley. And really up until the last two drives, that the Giants had, they did that. Like, I think he was averaging under two and a half yards per rush, like deep into the fourth quarter. And that was the recipe. You slow Saquon Barkley, put him in obvious passing situations. You get the opportunity to go up against the Giants offensive line that has given up the most sacks in the NFL. Uh, Pro Football Focus uh, keeps tabs of how many the pressures that turn into sacks. And on 53% of the pressures that get to Tommy DeVito, I know, believe this or not, Packer fans, but 53% of the pressures that get to him turn into sacks. That's the most in the NFL. I think second is like 36%. So it's not even close. And the Packers, you know, there were opportunities where they did generate pressure, but to your point, what's the value of pressure if you can't convert it into a sack? I think it's how the pressure comes about. You know, they were, Matt LaFleur talked about it, they were flying by him. So, yeah, were they in the vicinity? Did they get him off his spot? Yeah, but there are these massive running lanes for him to step up into and just to take off. And then you add on top of that some, you know, Tommy DeVito read options that they dialed up. And, you know, I get it. Maybe you're not necessarily fully prepared for that right away, you know, given the the quarterback. But you got to adjust at some point. And you could see on a number of those runs, the edge rusher, the guys on the outside, man, they were just locked into the backfield, you know, looking for that handoff up the middle and just set up those big plays for him. So obviously that's just massive impact. It allows them to extend drives, as you mentioned, keeps them out of those obvious passing situations. But coming into the game, if you had told me they hold Saquon Barkley two and a half yards per rush, I would have thought, hey, things are probably going to turn out okay for this Packers defense. But, yeah, just an inability to convert in those situations. And they had been doing well if from a from a pressure standpoint. I know it's been up and down this season, but they had the three key red zone zacks uh, against Kansas City. They put up a ton of pressure numbers a week before against Detroit. I think Goff was under pressure like 52% of the time. So they had been trending in the right direction. And, again, this was a Giants offensive line that's been susceptible in pass protection this season. So the formula for success was there. They did step 
step one, you know, slow the run game for the most part, uh, the running back, I should say, but just too many huge running lanes, uh, you know, poor, uh, you know, fundamentals, responsibilities in terms of where you're supposed to be on the field. And Tommy DeVito, to his credit, took advantage of it. Yeah, no, I think so too. And you mentioned earlier complementary football. And obviously when we talk about that, we're mostly usually talking about how offense, defense, special teams all come together to play a brand of complementary football, but it definitely comes into play on your own, you know, unit as well. And I've talked about in the past with Rashawn Gary of how he can be coming off the edge and getting some of these pressures. But if you don't have a player next to him that's also generating that pressure. If the pocket is not collapsing around that player, it doesn't do much because quarterback will sidestep it, go into that hole that's now vacated by Rashawn Gary and has that running lane to the outside. And when you're playing a mobile quarterback, whether it's Patrick Mahomes or um, Tommy DeVito or whoever it might be, you have to really make sure that you have rush lane integrity to make sure that you're not giving up that open lane and getting to the outside and allowing them either to beat you with the, their legs or just have all the time in the world for somebody to come open. And we saw that over and over the play along the sideline, that Matt LaFleur challenge, the touchdown against Carrington Valentine in the back of the end zone. It's not just the 70 plus yards that DeVito ran for in this game. It's also his ability to buy time and allow plays to set up outside of the structure of the offense and defense. And then you have to kind of just keep covering on the back end and Green Bay struggle with that as well. And I think if I had to guess, and again, it's impossible to guess the psyche of players, they're going into this game saying, number one, of course, we have to stop Saquon. I mean, there's no question about that. That was their uh, emphasis, and they did a pretty darn good job of that up until the, the final stretch of the game, as you mentioned. But I'm also sure that something in their mind is going, oh, man, we're playing a team that had 69 sacks that they've given up throughout the course of the season, and it's even more when Tommy DeVito's in there. Let's let's go get some sacks. And you can tell, especially Rashawn Gary screaming off the edge, Devontae Wyatt maybe getting past his point on a couple times. Like these guys were flying by and they were not keeping the integrity of everything. And I mentioned this to Aaron Nagler as well on Let's Talk Football today, but this felt like 11 individuals playing defense, not a team of players playing cohesive defense together. And that was what was so uncomplimentary about the defense's brand of football for me in this game. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good way to put it. Uh, Let's go over to the offense for a little bit. You also wrote about obviously the, the lack of gravity that Christian Watson, you know, like just not having him in this game and, and the, you know, he brings so much with him when he's going down the field, whether that's, you know, just him being able to make those explosive plays down the field or, again, having that gravity to draw defenders to him. Luke Musgrave is a piece of that as well. Green Bay was missing some of their big-time playmakers in this game. It felt like maybe, all right, maybe they can get away without Musgrave if they have Watson. Maybe they can get away without Watson if they have Musgrave. But when you have these two players that have the ability to threaten down the field and you don't have that, field gets condensed Matt went out of his way probably a little bit too much to try to get the game going horizontal to stretch the field that way. Um, It just felt like everything was a little bit off with no Watson, Musgrave, and Jones in this one. Yeah, 100%. I mean, Jordan Love said after the game that the the Giants did a really good job on the back end of taking away what they were trying to accomplish over the top. And, you know, credit to them, but part of that's a product of not having to worry about Christian Watson. Like you mentioned, in addition to just – 
what he can do and fill in the stat sheet, the attention that he draws that creates opportunities for others, shifts how the how the opponent defends the Screen Bay Packers offense. And they have playmakers, as we all know, as we've seen, Dontavian Wicks, Jaden Reed, but nobody can do what Christian Watson does. Nobody has that speed, size combination that defenses just have to respect right off the bat. That's where your attention has to go when he's on the football field. And as a result, the Packers struggled to, one, push the ball downfield. Love had been much more effective, much more efficient on passes of 20-plus yards. He was just one for five in this game uh, with an interception on, on those downfield pass attempts. And in general, the Packers only had two passing plays of 20 or more yards, and it wasn't even to the receivers. A.J. Dillon had one on the check down on the catch and run, and then the Tucker Craft. Uh, over the middle that he uh, picked up some yards after the catch as well. So that's been such a big factor. Matt LaFleur talks about it all the time. It's it's obviously known. Chunk plays leads to points. And we look back over the last five games when the Packers had been, the offense had been rolling, picking up steam. What have they done really well? Picking up chunk plays. And not necessarily all of it coming downfield, but getting the ball to guys in space, creating yards after the catch opportunities, picking up 15, 20, 25 yards at a pop. And obviously it makes it easier to score. It's a tough way to live. We've talked about it on here before when you have to consistently go 10 plays, 12 plays, if you're trying to put points on the board. So Packers lost that element again, not just the downfield aspect, but the ability to create chunk plays in this game. And that's a tough way to live. And not all of that is of course from Christian Watson's absence. There's a multitude of, you know, errors, issues elsewhere within this offense, but that it's not a coincidence either. That absolutely was a factor in his or in the offense's performance. Yeah, it definitely felt that way. It felt like they missed their playmakers. It felt like it condensed the defense, you know, down on everything Green Bay was trying to do and just made everything so much more complicated, which we'll we'll get into breaking down this game a little bit more towards the end. But I kind of want to pivot there a little bit because there's obviously even more concern over the weapons that will be available to Jordan Love this weekend. And they've the Giants, I think, did a really great job of sort of putting a blueprint together of, oh, if they don't have Musgrave and Watson and those guys, well, this is exactly what you can do. And it's going to be really hard for Green Bay to continue to move down the field with everything so condensed. And now you've got Todd Bowles, who's a very good defensive mind in Tampa Bay. And you've potentially got... No Christian. Well, we don't know any of this at this point. Obviously, we don't. We don't have the injury report or anything like that. But potentially, no Christian Watson. Potentially, no Jaden Reed if he did in fact suffer a concussion and he's in protocol and can't get out of it in time. Potentially, no Dontavian Wicks. Probably, you know, no Luke Musgrave. I think we know that one. Um, we'll see what happens with Aaron Jones. Like this could be an offense that is made up of AJ Dillon, Tucker Craft, Malik Keith. You know what, Romeo Dobbs and Samori Toure is probably your your top playmakers. And man, does that change things massively? You could tell when you know their, their emphasis with with Musgrave and Jones and and Watson out was Jaden Reed. Now they may not have Jaden Reed. You could tell they were getting Dontavian Wicks involved. Now they may not have Dontavian Wicks. Like this, this could be a massively challenging game offensively for Jordan Love in this offense. So you guys have probably noticed by now that the Packaday podcast is 365 days a year, and we've now been doing this for over five years. You've probably also noticed that I haven't missed too many episodes over the years, and let me tell you, that isn't by mistake. The truth is, before I started the podcast, I used to get sick way more often. 
I figured at the time that it was just happenstance, wrong place, wrong time, maybe ran into someone with the wrong germ and I got sick. What the heck was I supposed to do about it? Then I had a friend recommend to me a vitamin regimen that helped my immune system. And ever since I started boosting my immune system, my instances of being sick drastically decreased. Turns out, wasn't always just happenstance after all. When I was sick, I wasn't feeling focused. I felt sluggish and that led me to fall behind on my work and left me stressed out. Me taking vitamins helped, but then I ran into a different problem. Taking multiple vitamins every day was becoming a hassle and I figured there had to be an easier way. That's when I started drinking AG1. When I started drinking AG1 daily, I not only continued to boost my immune system, I also had more energy and was able to replace all of my multivitamins. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutritional supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. Not only did I replace my multivitamin with AG1, but I love that every scoop also includes prebiotics, probiotics, and digestive enzymes for gut support. That's why I'm proud to have AG1 as a sponsor for the Packaday podcast. AG1 is the supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash packaday. That's drinkag1.com slash packaday. Check it out. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's the holiday season and in our family, we're gearing up to get all of our holiday shopping completed so we can have those magical moments of giving the gifts that people are going to love and we can see the joy on their faces when they open those gifts. As a father of a six and 10 year old, those moments are magical and they mean a ton to me. Now, you and your family may have different holidays or different traditions, but one thing remains the same. You get to define how you give to yourself this holiday season, and this holiday season is the perfect time to do just that. You could treat yourself to a spa day, maybe make your favorite meal for dinner, or maybe the best gift of all could be a gift of therapy. As I've talked about in the past, therapy has been a huge benefit to me in my walk in life. As much as we want to put life on cruise control and act like everything is perfect, the fact remains that life is hard and you don't have to walk that journey all by yourself. As soon as I realized that is when my life took a turn for the better. Therapy has helped me focus, it's helped me avoid negative triggers, and it's helped me enjoy the little things in my everyday life. If you're thinking about starting therapy this holiday season, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be ultra convenient, and can be suited to your own unique schedule. In this season of giving, give yourself what you need with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash packaday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash packaday. Hey there. I'm sure you've heard a ton about daily fantasy sports, but I'm here to tell you that you've never experienced anything quite like prize picks. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Even more fun yet? Do you want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the Promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week. I've had so much fun making Prize Picks a part of my daily fantasy sports routine. They cover all of my favorite sports, have a ton of variety and different options to choose from, and the player choices are immense. 
I even had a fun J.K. Scott selection the other day for the Chargers game. I recently had a big win on Saturday morning in a London game, and it just made the viewing experience so much more enjoyable. It's fun, it's exciting, it's easy, and there's a level of creativity and uniqueness about it that I really, really enjoy. So go to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Yeah, I mean, if they're without those three, we just talked about the the, the impact of not having Watson in terms of deep passing game. Like if you're the Buccaneers and it's Romeo Dobbs, Maliki, Samori Toure, obviously no offense to any of them, but in terms of a deep threat, like... Who are you concerned about? Like, you're just going to shrink the field. You're going to, and you know, it's going to take away the run game, make the Packers one dimensional. It's just going to make everything so much more challenging. It's going to, you know, if that is how things end up playing out this week, it's going to take a a masterful play calling for performance from Matt LaFleur, Jordan Love, you know, from an execution standpoint as the quarterback. And the run game is going to have to get going. Like, there is, if that's who they're down to at the receiver position in this run game, if they don't have it to lean on, and as we just talked about, that admittedly might be tougher if they're already shrinking the field, but becoming one-dimensional with that shorthanded at receiver, lacking those type of playmakers that you've had in those key situations. I mean, it, it's you know at this time difficult to see how success can happen for this offense without that element. The run game's been getting a little bit better as of late, but that's a, that's a heavy weight to put on the shoulders of that unit. I tell you, they should be afraid of Bo Melton. It's Bo Melton season this uh, this Sunday potentially. No, it, it's going to be uh, it's going to be really interesting to see the type of plan that Matt Lafleur puts together. And obviously, we don't want to jump to any conclusions. We don't want to limit anyone. Maybe Christian Watson can make his way back. Maybe Jaden Reed will get out of concussion protocol in time. Maybe Dontavian Wicks' ankle felt a lot better today than it did when he said it was effed after the game. Well, you know, we don't know at this point, but a lot of those things not necessarily trending in the right direction. And even if any of them do come back, you have to wonder how effective can they be? Are they still going to have that explosive playmaking ability? How many snaps can they go? So there's going to be a lot of that that goes into it this week. And uh, Matt and company have a ton of challenges ahead of them, specifically for that reason. All right, let's stick with the offense here. While they did lack some of those weapons and they didn't have Aaron Jones again, you mentioned and you've kind of been talking about and and writing about how there have been some positives in the running game. So I want you to kind of, if you possible, touch base on that a little bit because I do think that's a potential big takeaway for this team. Yeah, they've been slowly picking up steam, you know, over the last month when their success has taken place and watching that game unfold last night live before rewatching it, my initial thought was I thought there were more opportunities for in-between tackle runs. This was a Giants defense that is allowing almost five yards per carry this season, uh, which of course ranks near the bottom of the NFL. And as we've seen from this Packers run game, it's not as if it was dominant by any means. I think A.J. Dillon averaged three and a half yards per rush. Patrick Taylor found more success at seven, but he only had four, four carries. But as we've talked about, as we've seen, I think the Chiefs game is a prime example of this. Run game doesn't have to rip off those chunk runs to be super effective. They were generating positive plays, staying even with the stick, sometimes getting ahead of it because this this game kind of went back to what we saw during that four-game losing streak. When the Packers fell behind the sticks against the Giants, Like that's when things really, really became hard for this offense. And the run game helped keep them out of those situations. And uh, as you mentioned, I wrote about at Packers Wire, and I asked Matt LaFleur about it today in terms of what he thought from an execution standpoint. He said they 
were able to get some things going downhill, running between the tackles. Offensive line was able to generate some push in that regard. And he admitted there was there was opportunities for them to get uh, AJ Dillon, Patrick Taylor in that regard involved more than what they did. Especially, you know, we just talked, we all know the benefits that can come from leaning on the run game. Giants have struggled against it. But when your offense is struggling, take some of the playmaking burden off of them. Like even on that final touchdown drive to Malik Heath, first and goal from the nine. Not going to lie, I was a little surprised that there wasn't a run play mixed in to you know, to to start that drive off just because, again, they had been getting three, four, five yards a pop. You do that once you, you know, you're inside the five yard line and that's already such a condensed part or it is a condensed part of the field. It's already innately more difficult to move the ball through the air inside the red zone that for an offense that was struggling to do so. That was just kind of my initial gut reaction to uh, that drive being in the red zone. Ultimately, it didn't matter. They have scored a touchdown anyways. But I think that opportunity early on and throughout the game to get those guys more involved could have helped taking the burden off of the passing game. And like you said, they trying to get Jaden Reed in the mix. And it's not as if they abandoned the run or didn't run, You know, including Reed. They still had 23 attempts. It was still a big part of the game. But again, just how the game unfolded, the Giants' struggles against the run this season, I thought there was more opportunities for it. I thought so too. I thought even on some of the runs they did call, there was an opportunity there for some extra yardage as well that they didn't always hit on. I think it's something that they're going to have to, they're going to have to continue to work on. Um, I, I do think, and listen, the, the offense overall of all three phases is still probably the least of green Bay's concerns right now. They're 10th in DVOA defense and special teams are 28th. It's not even remotely close at the moment. And I do think this offense especially like we haven't even seen like, like have we seen this offense healthy yet? Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't know that I know we haven't because like really the only time Aaron Jones was healthy was week one and uh, Christian Watson was not available until like what week four or something like that. And like Wicks and Reed were still getting ingrained all oh, week one. was the only week they had Bakhtiari. If we even want to go in that direction, like we have not seen this offense healthy all season long. If they are, it probably looks a whole heck of a lot different. And I know every team's fighting injuries, but I mean, I do think there's going to have to come a time in a place. We're not necessarily been talking about this year, but where when you have a team like this, where you're facing the New York Giants, weren't just very good against the run. I would love if at some point it doesn't have to be such a gimmicky offense where you have to lean on a bunch of tosses, jet sweeps, end arounds, reverses, double reverses, double reverse flea flickers, like can you just line up against a bad football team that plays bad defense that gives up almost, you know, like a, a really bad average in the running game and just say, we're going to run through your face. And again, I know that that's not necessarily the way that they've done things. And I do think they're still trying to improve that run game. But at some point, you know, you look at the teams that are having a ton of success. They're finding ways to run the football specifically between the tackles and saying to some extent, Hey, you're not going to be able to stop that version of it. And it's not an easy thing to do in the NFL. I get that, but I do think they're going to have to find a way to just attack that area a little bit better. But we have, as you mentioned, seen these sort of incremental increases, um, I think, over the course of the season. Yeah, that that gimmicky stuff that you mentioned, there's a double edged sword. There's the well, we can't get, you know, we can't get our regular quote unquote offense going. Let's let's try to yep. catch them off guard. But on the other side of that, it's well, you're not executing on kind of the basics, the core concepts of what your offense is. So asking these guys to put more on their plate to take on different roles for, you know, rather than, you know, maybe three or four blocks needing to take place perfectly for the play to be positive. Now we're asking for seven or eight, like there's that double-edged sword to it. And one of the other aspects that was different about this game was the play action. Jordan Love was 
uh, very efficient on it again. But in terms of usage, uh, during the five game uh, stretch where they were four and one, you know, Love was using play action or the offense was about 33% of the time. Last night, he had almost 40 pass attempts, and I think just eight of them were off play action, so around 20%. So even though the run game was finding success for whatever reason, I remember thinking this as the game was going on, it just wasn't as big of a factor as it has been for this offense, even though the run game, like I mentioned, was still you know generating positive plays for them. It wasn't really, from a, at least a yards per carry perspective, wasn't really all that different than what we saw a week ago against Kansas City. No, I'm with you. And even just some some bootleg stuff, just to get Jordan moving a little bit, just felt like there was some stuff that they never really got to. And I do feel like sometimes Matt can abandon stuff when they get down or when like a couple things aren't clicking and all of a sudden it's just like it's it's all off script. And I don't know. I just felt it, the whole thing was just disjointed all night long. And there's no there's no better way to put it. They never got in any sort of rhythm at any point in that game. Another thing I wanted to talk about is is clearly a an aspect of the game that comes into this every single week and that's turnovers. It's not, it's like the biggest, you know, statistic that generates wins or losses in the league. Of course it matters, but it does feel like this green Bay team is almost dependent upon that turnover battle. Meaning if they're doing well, they're getting turnovers and they're getting points off of it. And if they're not doing well, we're seeing exactly what happened in this game against the giants where they were giving the ball, back to the Giants left and right, whether it was interception, fumble, the Keyshawn fumble, et cetera. Like, like A, how important have turnovers been to this team? And B, what can they do to limit it on their side and, and generate more on the opposite side? Yeah, I believe they're 4-1 and one when winning the turnover battle, 1-1 one and one when they split it, and then the math works out 1-5 and five now when losing it. Like like you said, like that determines it. When that third turnover happened, that was kind of in my head, and the game ended up being closer than I thought at that point. But yeah. that was kind of in my head of like, okay, that's, that's too much to overcome. Fortunately, the Giants gifted a few back to them. But, you know, obviously that's twofold protecting the ball and generating turnovers. And this defense has been bad at generating turnovers this season against the Lions and Chiefs, of course. They pull off those two wins. They were able to win the turnover battle. I think the defense had four between those two games in terms of takeaways. Um, Matt LaFleur has talked about that repeatedly over the last few weeks, how that's an area where they have to get better at. Uh, you know, From the interception perspective, at least it, it feels like there's – you know, with their style of play, they're just not in a lot of positions to make plays on the football, you know, with that more softer approach where you're trying to keep everything in front of you, it's tough to be there to make contested plays on it. So I do think that that's a factor in terms of what we're seeing from a turnover perspective and then fumbles. I mean, that's just, you know, to a degree, got to put yourself in the right, or you absolutely got to put yourself in the right position, make a play on the ball. But from the offense, it's just part of the growing pains that they've experienced this season. And of course, when they were playing well over the last five games, Jordan Love was taking care of it, keeping the ball out of harm's way. And that was just one of the, you know, I, I assume to a degree we got to give, or I know to a degree we got to give credit to Wink Martindale and that defense because right out the gate, it wasn't like there was this, the offense settled in, the Giants made adjustments and that kind of caught them off guard. It was like right out the get go. Like Love looked uncomfortable, looked indecisive, you know, and referencing back to the Giants coming off that bye week, you know, they're going to throw new things, different things at this offense. And I just wonder if that ended up playing a, a really big aspect early on in this game in terms of not allowing them to get into a rhythm, love feeling uncomfortable from the get go. 
you know, it leads to the accuracy issues, the indecisiveness that just caught this whole offense off guard. And then that just snowballs into what ended up being some of those turnover opportunities for the New York Giants. Cause we talked about that in the early portion of the season with such a young team, like, how do you counter adjustments? That was something they had to work through. If you've never seen something before, you've never seen something before. And in recent weeks, they've become you know, much more adept at making those adjustments, being comfortable with you know, the playbook. There's the, you know, Aaron Rodgers always referenced it. There's a playbook on paper and there's what actually takes place on the field. You know, of course, what route you have to run, but how's the defense defending you? You know, where, where's your teammates on the field? Are they being more physical? Is there more space? Like that was the part that these receivers and pass catchers had gotten much more comfortable with uh, during this stretch of success that they've had. And I just wonder if what Wink Martindale threw at them, the the different looks, the disguises, if that just really caught them off guard from the get-go and that just kind of set the the course, the tempo for the rest of the game from the offense passing game. It definitely felt that way. As I mentioned, Green Bay never got in a rhythm all game long. And credit the Giants. They have a very smart defensive coordinator, and they had an extra week to prepare, and they were well prepared in that game. And they got Green Bay off rhythm from the get-go. And like I said, Green Bay never got it back. So they're going to have to learn from that and and figure it out moving forward because, like I said, I'm sure Tampa is going to be looking at that tape and saying, all right, what are some key concepts that the Giants did that we can kind of copy and paste going into this Sunday's matchup? Before we get there, just to kind of in general, we've seen now – uh, again, this Jekyll and Hyde team, you don't know what you're going to get any given week. I'm, you know, I'm feeling positive about the fact that they've gone through a four game losing streak and they bounce back from that already. One bad game. You know, I'm hoping that it doesn't take four games of losing to to bounce back this time, that they can bounce back a little bit quicker, just like they did against Pittsburgh. They lose against Pittsburgh and they go on to win three straight right after that. Um, what does Green Bay need to do just in general to kind of bounce back in these remaining four games? I think a lot of it's just the hit the reset button. Like if we want to try to take a, a positive spin on this, like, you know, coming down the final stretch of the season, maybe getting punched in the mouth a little bit and, you know, not bringing your A game is, you know, an opportunity to hit reset, get back to the basics, the fundamentals, realize that what you did against the Lions and the Chiefs isn't just how you're going to stroll out every Sunday and, and what's going to take place because, you know, Thinking through that question, it's just so much of it comes down to just the 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 execution, obviously. And it wasn't there's nothing that stands out in terms of like, you know, the 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 run game has to be a lot better, or you know what I mean? It's just yep. there was just this this avalanche of mistakes and errors that to a degree, and not to discount it, but you're like, that's not gonna happen again, I guess. Right. <laughs> Thinking yeah. along those lines, hopefully, right don't mean to throw a jinx out there, but, (laughs) but so there's nothing really specific that comes to mind, but I think it's just hit the reset button, get back to, you know, what you want to accomplish with the offense from the defensive, uh, you know, scheme, all that stuff. So there's nothing huge in my mind that stands out in that regard, but I think it's just the opportunity to take a step back and, you know, make that final push over these last four games. Yeah, I'm hopeful that a home game this week will be kind of just what they need, just kind of get back into a rhythm, hopefully have that home crowd behind them, not expecting a huge contingent of Tampa Bay fans. We'll we'll see if maybe I'm proven wrong, but I don't think I'm going to be. So hopefully just kind of getting back to some home cooking and they can get back to what they did really well against Kansas City, Detroit, and during that three-game win streak. That brings us to Packers-Bucks. Just uh, kind of quick no, we don't have to go too far into detail. We're still relatively early in the week, but anything that you're kind of looking for from a matchup standpoint or anything you want to see from Green Bay this week? 
I think uh, just the the offensive line where I'm going to have my attention. This is another blitz heavy opponent. Feel kind of repetitive at this point because they faced a lot of them in recent weeks: Chargers, Chiefs, Giants. But just how the offensive line continues to to hold up in that regard. You know, Wink. We just talked about Wink Martindale through quite a few blitzes at this Packers offense, and you know, for the most part, they were able to hold their own, give Love the time that he needed. I think in general, just the kind of overall uncomfort- uncomfortability that was there from him, I think led to some, you know, or less success or did lead to less success than what we saw against the Chiefs. But just how they handle that blitz up front, I think is going to be obviously really important, giving them the, giving Love the time that he needs in the pocket, being able to find some success in the run game and just being able to find that rhythm that eluded them against the Giants. This will be Baker Mayfield's third consecutive trip in December to Lambeau Field, all with different teams. Two years ago at the Browns, he went 21 of 36, 222 yards, two touchdowns, four interceptions, was sacked five times. Last year with the Rams, 12 of 21, one interception, one touchdown, was also sacked five times. Green Bay hopefully can get back on the right side of taking the ball away and getting some of those pressures and turning them into sacks against Baker Mayfield, who has not had a fun time in December at Lambeau Field. So hopefully that can be something that kind of gets Green Bay back on track from a defensive side of things. Last but not least, a couple of transactions from Tuesday. I think the big one, obviously a couple of practice squad moves, but the big one, they released Caillou Blue Kelly, which isn't exactly a huge uh, shock, nor is it like anything that changes anything for Green Bay, but it does potentially open up that roster spot for Eric Stokes moving forward. Uh, thoughts on any of the transactions? Yeah, I mean, that has to be what the the move was made for because I think Tuesday the 19th is the three-week mark for Eric Stokes. So he has to be put back on the 53-man roster in the next week. He was a full participant all three days in practice last week, was listed as questionable. So have to think he's really, really close to being back and available for the Packers. And then they added the receiver to the practice squad just to build the depth. We went through it at the start. You know, Not that Pitts is going to come in and play on Sunday, but – if you're going to be without Reed, Watson, Wicks, potentially in practice this week, you need an additional body at a minimum to, yep. to have enough players to get through a practice. And then if you're going to have uh, Bo Melton, potentially Grant DeBose taking on larger roles, uh, he just gives you some some added cushion on the practice squad there. Bo Melton and, and Grant DuBose breakout week. I'm excited for it. All amazing stuff as always. Uh, tell everyone where we can follow you on social and find your amazing work. Appreciate it. Andy, you can follow me on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettel. Find all my work over at Packers Wire and hit like and subscribe over on YouTube. Paul Brettel. I always forget to say that. So uh, hit like and subscribe here too if you have not already. Uh, of course, make sure to follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. Go follow Paul on uh, YouTube. He does absolutely amazing work. So make sure you're checking that out every single week. That's going to do it for us though. Until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.